This International Women's Day, we had the pleasure of hosting a webinar where we heard about the stories of five empowering women. Five women, all in different career paths and with different backgrounds, who strive to make an impact without expectation or limiting belief holding them back. The webinar version is available also on our website at www.thecustomer.agency. Today is International Women's Day and we are here to collectively explore the topic of bias. Thank you for showing up and making this important topic a priority to listen, learn and engage with us on. Able to work with businesses and leaders that are committed to growing the consciousness of their own biases. You know, it takes a lot of humility and courage really to acknowledge that different leadership styles add value to business and to actively foster that appreciation. Like many of you, I'm in the people business too. Um, at the heart of it, we help people think differently, listen and engage more meaningfully with other people. One thing I've learned from the work we do, especially with women, is that we are still looking for this sense of calm, of contentment, of balance and self-worth. Our goal today is to hopefully bring some of that plus inspire you to think about how you could maybe break the bias in your way. So let's talk about our amazing panel. Uh, coming from different industries, these brilliant women who in their own ways have broken through biases to become leaders they've become today. They're going to share their, your, their journeys and perspectives with you and I'm really excited for you to hear their stories. So a quick introduction to, to all our speakers. So Marlon Londblod, engineer, STEM advocate and sustainability leader at Mott McDonald. Sarah Stockwell-Kahari, Chief People Officer at McPherson's. Emma Pilcher, Chief People and Culture Officer at Planet Testing. Marianne Dodd, Executive General Manager of Member Experience at MIPS. And Renee Miller, Chief Financial Officer at IE. And Yolanthi Gabri, Director of, at Ruby Assembly, which is a boutique social media agency. I'm so excited. We have such a powerhouse of women uh, for you today to, to listen to their stories. But before I pass the torch onto our first speaker of the day, I just wanted to share a little bit about my thoughts and experience with bias. So in the mid nineties, uh, I studied computer science. I was always one of those women. Uh, I was always the only one often women in my tutorials, IT and studying IT wasn't very fashionable or appealing uh, back then. But, you know, honestly, I, I didn't actually care. It's hard to explain, but I feel like I was pursuing something greater than me or my gender and to, to learn how to connect people using the internet. I mean, it's amazing. Look at how far we've come. Um, it's about bringing people together and really about giving people an opportunity to find a place and, and to belong, which if you, if you can think about what the online and digital world is, is for many, you know, we've, we've definitely come a long way. 
this space fascinated me then and it absolutely fascinates me now. And, you know, I was always encouraged that if I worked hard enough, I could do anything. You know, fast forward 25 years and, and now, you know, I have the privilege of working to help people connect in the most meaningful ways possible. And technology is an integral part of this. This digital world is our everyday reality, but it, you know, it wasn't always for many of us and it still isn't for many. Um, I'm absolutely proud of the work that I've done over the years to bring awareness of biases into the conversation in encouraging and mentoring young women to take risks just as I did, you know, when it wasn't cool or fashionable. These days, I have a 12-year-old daughter. She's actually sitting next to me right now at home with COVID, but, um, you know, I simply wish for her that gender equality, diversity and inclusion for all is no longer on the agenda. It's just the norm. And, you know, I feel it's it's also important to add there is a bigger conversation with how many displaced people there are in the world right now, you know, living in truly unimaginable circumstances. But as a connected community of women on this International Women's Day, we have the power to remind women with our words and with our actions that they too have a voice and you know, our unconditional support. So I thank you all for connecting with us to be here. And I look forward to opening up the conversation with these incredible speakers at this session today. So let me hand you over, first of all, to, to share their story to, to Marlon. Marlon. Thank you so much, Sarah. Um, th thanks for that intro and, and thanks for setting the scene. Um, really grateful to be here today with um, what sounds to be an amazing mix of women's stories and, and reflections around this incredibly important topic, um, breaking, breaking the bias. So a bit about me, I suppose. Um, I work for a large engineering firm called Mott McDonnell, where I lead the sustainable buildings and precinct team in, in our built environment sector. So in the building engineering and design space. Um, my background is in mechanical engineering. It's very similar to you, Sarah, it was very often the one of the only females kind of throughout university and early years of my career and, and spending the first part of my career designing mechanical systems and looking at energy performance in building. Um, I was often the sole female in the team and, and I have definitely at time felt I needed to, to work harder to prove myself, um, especially out on site in those kind of, uh, I guess, more stereotypical male environments. But I'm not sure if it's if it's me aging or being more confident or, or the world changing around me um, or maybe maybe a combination of all of those. But I, I have started to see this kind of small shift from focusing on this stigma around being a surviving as a woman in, in a man's world um, kind of thing to, to valuing and seeing the benefit, benefits of, of diversity um, in those environments. And that's that being truly um, appreciated. We're, we're not there yet, but I, I do sense, uh, sense some shifts. So I guess personally for me, reflecting on what to say ahead of today, I, I could think of two things in my career and in, in my life that's really supporting me in, in uh, breaking the bias and, and following my path. And I'm definitely not saying that I'm, I'm there in any way. Bias is still all around us, our daily lives, and, and I still consciously and, and unconsciously um, contribute to it Um even myself, but I'd say the very first thing that set me off on a good path has actually been my my dad, my true supporter. He's never even the slightest treated me in any different ways to my brothers, or may, maybe more importantly, never treated 
my brother's different to me and the kind of expectations he, he put on them. And, and I've realised later in life that many of the biases, I guess, I've observed, um, I've actually not felt that influenced by until later in my life throughout kind of university times and, and early stages of my career. And I guess it just makes me realise what a strong, strong impact we have in championing our own children and, and their friends. Um, and I guess in a similar vein, um, I was talking, I've got three young daughters and I was talking to the two older of them the other day about this break, breaking the bias post and um, what we look to celebrate and also challenge on International Women's Day. And I was trying to explain to them how there's sometimes, for example, in the work that I do, um, uh, there's more guys than girls and it's maybe that we get pushed or encouraged to do different things throughout our life because of our gender and my daughter was kind of looking at me and she was looking quite puzzled so I stopped talking and she said but I don't get it I, I thought most engineers were girls she said to me and, and it made me so happy to hear and I guess it just made me realize that it doesn't really take that much to kind of change one's perception and it's obviously her perception is not quite right but again it kind of was um, telling me how important this role of mentoring and role modeling um, in really early years of, of someone's life is incredibly important so I guess that, that's my first Point, that kind of role models in, in younger years are, are really important in this journey on, on breaking the bias. And I guess the second one, um, now as a parent myself, a, a really big challenge in life is to kind of continue to have division of responsibilities and kind of career progression when, when kids come into the picture. All of a sudden, it's like all these balanced roles that you might have had in your life are just kind of blown out the window. Um, I've got three young daughters and I feel like I've experienced it multiple times. I've not necessarily become any better at it every time. And it's it's really hard. And, and for me, the biggest shift in that and also I guess my biggest realisation happened when I went back to work and, and my husband took over as, as the primary carer. And one day I just came home and the house was in complete chaos and he was standing there kind of in the middle of everything, just holding our daughter. And he looked at me and said, oh, this is so hard. I, I don't know um, what I've done today. And, and I kind of just looked at him and said, you don't understand how happy that makes me feel. Um, maybe not the nicest thing to say, but I would never have been able to explain this to you. It's, it's, it's impossible to understand unless you kind of live it. Um, and similarly, I got to experience kind of the stress of missing the train or um, not making it home in time or balancing these kind of work expectations mm. um, and a young family. And, and unfortunately, um, Today, gender balance is not solely a woman's issue, but it's also an economic issue. So not everyone's fortunate enough to be in a position to be able to kind of have this type of split. And then this coupled with, I suppose, biases around what you can and can't do in a role or a certain position means that um, ultimate uh, parenting responsibilities so often fall onto the woman. So I guess... Um, my second thing around thinking about breaking the bias is really that it's kind of critical for um, as many parents as possible to experience kind of these pressures of ultimate, being ultimately responsible as a parent and to better understand the challenges around working part time, settling back into work and, and managing that kind of constant juggle um, and, and the impacts that it can actually have on, on your career. So I guess they're my two key things uh, around um, I guess my journey in breaking the bias and, and the part of this that I'm I'm truly passionate about so I'm just gonna leave you with I guess my pledge of, of today as part of breaking the bias and this is really to continue to championing equal opportunities 
opportunities and challenges for all parents, regardless of gender. It's not until we kind of tried both sides that we can truly understand the, both the joy that it brings to be home with a child or go back to work and actually use your brain again, but also the kind of physical and mental burden that it um, can have to be ultimately responsible in, in either of these categories, really. And um, I'll ch challenge my own, my pledge would be to challenge my own organisations to do better um, and address the kind of financial issues around this, this, but also to role model and support individuals on, on that journey to find the balance to try and succeed in both, um, which can sometimes be really daunting. And I guess lastly, um, my challenge to everyone here today is to, to try to take away one thing from, from all of these speakers that you're really passionate about. There's so many streams to this part of breaking the bias and, and make your own pledge. Um, and to not just make it this one day thing, but uh, on International Women's Day, but use it as a springboard really to challenge yourself to be a champion in, in an area that's really important to you. Um, we can't do it all, it's, it's too overwhelming, but um, focus on really where your, where your passion lies. So that, that's um, all from me. Marlon, thank you so much. Um, so many really important messages that I'm sure many of the audience can resonate with. Please, if you've got questions for Marlon, pop them in the chat. Um, we'll get through them. But really appreciate your story and, you know, you sharing your perspective, Marlon. It's amazing. Thank you. So over to Sarah Stockwell-Kahari now, Chief People Officer at McPherson's. Hi, Sarah. Hi, Sarah. Thanks so much for today Pleasure. and thanks for having me. It's, um, it's been a real pleasure. Um, thanks, everybody, for joining too. Um, looks like we've got a lot of people on, which is, which is a really great turnout as well. A little bit about me and my background. Um, firstly, I'm not blonde anymore. COVID has been um, kind to me. <laughs> I did take a, a decision um, when we first went into our very first lockdown a couple of years ago that I was going to try and go neutral and natural. Um, I'm not sure how that's working with the greys, but I'm working through that um, myself. Um, been in a very diverse background from an industry perspective in what I've done over the years of my career. I've worked in beauty, I've worked in retail, um, I've worked in legal, I've worked with engineering, um, services and hospitalities, and then I've kind of done a full circle and come back to the beauty industry where I've been the Chief People Officer with McPherson's for um, several years now. Beyond that, on a personal level, um, I'm a mother, a wife, a grandmother and a stepmother as well. Um, and for me, I hope in bringing through these celebrations of what we're going through today um, for all women that my stepchildren and my and my own children um, are success successful in what they do and how they do it. And they can do it in a world where bias doesn't exist and it just is business as usual in relation to the best people doing the best that they can do in, um, in their lives and succeeding in what they want to achieve. It's one of the things I've noticed over the years, particularly um, working in the beauty industry, is the conversation of inclusion is becoming more and more noticeable around how we operate, um, not only in our management meetings, but also in our peers, with our peers. And it's quite refreshing, but it's not just the words that we need to talk about around using that word inclusion. For me, it's also those actions that um, will truly speak into breaking down that bias. I've had several roles um, over the years where I've worked in um, senior leadership teams where men have dominated um, across the boardroom, as Sarah was talking about before slightly. So um, it, it's an old-fashioned kind of you learn to navigate through experience around that. Um, and after recently turning 50, I've reflected a lot on how 
that um, that experience and navigating those things of what you stand up for become really important. And I think from that, you learn to, I guess, navigate through the side comments, you navigate through the old-fashioned expectations, and you navigate through that lack of acceptance um, of being in that boardroom. But again, it's not just about navigating through that, it's also about being um, believing in yourself. And I think that's probably the most important thing, because for me, self-belief brings confidence um, in what you can do and what you can achieve um, as a female um, or as any um, anyone in any working order. I guess for me too, working in a female-dominated industry, it's um, it can be quite challenging as well because we can look at things like what we're doing with our diversity and inclusion from a um, from a company perspective. But when I look at us working in the beauty industry and I look at things like um, our male versus female dominance, we've got 73% of our global employees are female um, in our organisation. So if you looked at that from a, I guess, from a, um, a gender perspective, some would say, hey, we're doing really well. Um, but when we look at it as an organisation, we say, well, what are we doing in relation to, to bringing that back um, to having some more um, men come into the organisation, which sounds like an odd thing to say in, in these times where we're looking at that gender equality. Um, but for us, we've got a very different um, view around it and what we try to achieve with that. One of the things that we've noticed through the, um, through the actual um, pandemic is that promotion of self-care and how do we tap into that self-care to be able to support not only our female customers, which are already true and loyal to us, but also to bring some of those male customers across to us as well, and not only as a customer, but also within our workforce, which we have been able to do. Our end goal is obviously always to make sure that the right person is in the right role in everything that we do from that perspective, but it's really, really important for us to also capture the over 20 cultures that we've got um, that are represented within our organisation for that inclusion to be there, so that fairness as well as acknowledgement of that diverse workforce, and that's really important for us. I guess like many companies over the last two years, we've been forced to look at things differently um, and how we manage that, how we work, how we engage, how we continue to connect with people, um, and also how we've maintained that working environment whilst being remote. One of the things that we've done a lot of work in um, at McPherson's is our inclusion training. So we've done top to bottom um, inclusion leadership training, which is then supported through how we look at um, what we're doing across the organisation to support that inclusion. So beyond the outcomes of those workshops that we ran, and we ran them from the senior leadership management, and then we ran them across the entire organisation globally, we're supported by the diversity inclusion um, committee. And some of the thoughts that we've done through that is some of the virtual training um, that we've done, but also how we've done celebrations of and, and celebrating our diverse cultures throughout our um, organisation. And being virtual, we've been able to do that through a lot of communications. We've had a lot of virtual events to be able to support that and creating that awareness of how others can celebrate their lives, celebrate their losses, because we have losses as well in this current environment that it's really important to acknowledge as well. And their perspectives on life that have been more important in the current environment that we're working in. As an organisation, I guess, we learn to love um, and learn more about each other through these connections and what we're doing in understanding our different cultures across the organisation. Um, and 
this is supported through our culture, um, through our service periods. We've got staff in our organisation that have been with us for over 50 years. Um, and our average tenure in some of our areas of our business is over 25 years, um, just as an average tenure. So we're really proud of that from a cultural perspective, which brings everyone together to be more like a family. Um, and it's just incredible how that's, um, I guess, embraced across the organisation from that perspective. I'll finish on a personal level. So I guess my role um, as Chief People Officer is I get bringing people together, bringing out the best in them and what they can achieve. And I guess setting them up to succeed and creating an environment where I feel is extremely important that they feel safe to be who they are and to be true to themselves because everyone deserves a voice and to be treated fairly. And I hope that's, that's where we're heading for the future um, in what we want to achieve. So thanks, Sarah. Amazing, Sarah. Thank you so much for sharing some of your perspective and insights and your learnings. I think especially in the role that you do within an organisation is, is so important. And it's great to see chief people officers, you know, being a, an important and integral part of, of a larger organisation. So thank you um, for sharing um, both personal and professional um, insights and stories. It's awesome. Um, I'd like to ask next uh, Marianne Dodd, Executive General Manager of Member Experience at MIPS, to share your experiences, Marianne. Uh, thank you, Sarah, and uh, thank you for inviting me today. I was, um, it, it was, it's an honour to be here. Um, and to be honest, I really had to think about this topic because um, it does take quite a bit of reflection to think about how I'm breaking the bias. And when I think about it, I think about um, what's in me that has allowed me to do that throughout my career. And I think there's kind of two elements and I will get to my career in a moment. <laughs> um, but the first is um, I, I, I come from a migrant family. My, I have Italian heritage and um, growing up, um, the cultural norms of being um migrant to Australia are, are very distinct and I immediately questioned those norms and I was kind of at a very young age kind of breaking the bias of what I thought it meant um, to be a, to be a girl at the time ultimately to be a woman um, and to kind of break those cultural boundaries of you know what my what the expectations of me were for my future um, I'm not sure if anyone else in the audience has those experiences of growing up and kind of really questioning, um, you know, uh, not wanting <laughs> to, to live the life that their grandparents expect of them and wanting a future that is defined by themselves. So that was certainly, you know, that questioning theme um, really came through then in my education. So, um uh, I, I was a scientist, I studied as a scientist, and my uh, mindset is to question everything. <laughs> um, so uh, that's kind of what I take into kind of every conversation. I'm kind of thinking, uh, does that make sense to me, firstly? <laughs> Most importantly, uh, I, and I have to say a lot of the time I, I do have to figure out whether what makes sense to me, what doesn't. Um, and then, uh, you know, so if it does make sense to me, then how does that kind of relate in terms of, you know, what I can do with that information? So I think that kind of questioning mindset uh, is something that is kind of is inherited in me through both my background and through my education as well. Like I said, I'm a scientist by training, a molecular biologist. I can't remember anything about my training. <laughs> 
Um, but what that did set me up to be is a problem solver. So then I, um, from being, uh, being a medical scientist for a few years, I then moved into um, being into marketing, uh, working for a pharmaceutical company. And that really started my career as a marketer and my career um, and passion for member experience. Um, I've worked across many different industries like my fellow panellists as well. Um, I think that the, one of the other things is, and like my fellow panellists as well, I'm a mother. So I have two daughters and I'd really love to share what the story about one of my daughters at the end of uh, my session as well. Um, one of the things that I kind of reflected on in my career when uh, I was thinking about speaking today is really the traditional and that kind of idea of what a leader means. You know, the leader means you have to have all the answers. The leader means when someone asks you a question, you need to be authoritative and say, this is what you need to do. Um, and I can say that that's absolutely not me. <laughs> and it slightly terrifies me as well if that's the expectation of um, what that, if that's what I need to be. I, um, I think the way I kind of break the bias is I like to surround myself with people who think really differently. I love the idea that someone in my team thinks completely opposite to me. Um, and I really kind of embrace that and I encourage it. Because I think that when you have that kind of, uh, when you do have diversity, and we've spoken about that in the session today, um, you really start to challenge your own biases and you start to get the best out of how to solve a problem, which is, which is my inherent desire, how to solve a problem. Um, so I think that, you know, breaking biases, you know, we, we have our inherent ones that we don't even know exist, like, you know, that we don't even know are there. But if we surround ourselves with different people and really people who you would kind of think, oh, I never want to hang around people like that. Um, they're the people you need to hang out and they're the people you need to work with because they're the people that are going to kind of break down, um, you know, how we think about uh, situations and how to make the most of a situation. Um, and, I, and I think in that sense, we have to put ourselves in uncomfortable positions we have to, because bias is all about, you know, we create these fortresses around ourselves to feel comfortable and to validate ourselves. And um, breaking biases means we have to feel uncomfortable. And um, I think that that's really important. And I think that diversity really drives that. So that's a kind of a bit about me and um, how I work. <laughs> I just wanted to take a few moments to talk about, um, you know, a, a part of, you know, uh, my family, which is my daughter, um, who has a disability and what, um, you know, breaking the bias mean, has meant for me as a mother um, and I guess how she's teaching me as well. So my daughter is deaf. Um, she has uh, moderate hearing loss, which means she requires hearing aids to hear. Um, I, <laughs> I just thought of this kind of funny anecdote that we had at home once where my daughters were fighting and, um, uh, my youngest daughter didn't have her hearing aids on and they were and my oldest daughter was in another room and they were having this massive argument and my youngest daughter said what do you think I am deaf and then she's like oh wait a minute I am deaf but I can still hear you <laughs> um so I think that you know, I, I always kind of think about that and how she just kind of embraced it she embraced that that her challenge and just thought you know what it means nothing to me you know, I, I am your equal and I will kind of fight you <laughs> um, as kids do um, without any conscious consciousness to it. Um, but 
when she was born, it was incredibly challenging for me um, because I, I've only, you know, I have no understanding of the deaf world. I And I immediately wanted my daughter to participate in the hearing world. Um, and I didn't realise that, you know, the, the, the enormous bias that that had. I wanted her to, you know, do everything um, that her older sister did. I wanted her to, you know, um, you know, go to kindergarten, go to the local primary school, um, just be completely immersed in our community. And then it, um, at, when she was about, when she started going to primary school, it immediately dawned on me that, she, no, she's different. She's different. I can't put my expectations as a hearing person onto her because she's not. And um, she's had to teach me a lot about, you know, what it means to, um, to, to have a disability but to embrace the world with it um, and to kind of expect everything that you want out of life irrespective. And I think that that really questions what it means to be an able person. Like we talk about disabled, well, she's an abled person and what does that mean for her and her future? Um, and so she's challenging me all the time and I kind of had to, interestingly, you know, everyone talks about leaning in, well, I had to lean back. I had to lean back and say, you know, she has to guide me, and I and um, she will she will kind of live her life, and I just have to be um, the sherpa in that for her. I have to, you know, make sure the path is clear that she, so she can live the life that she wants to live. Um, and I don't really know what that means, and so I have to take my cues and learn, <laughs> and kind of, you know, all this um, unconscious bias that I have about what it means to be hearing. I have to kind of undo that. And to be honest, um, it's unraveling for me even now. And she's, you know, eight years old. I can't imagine what it will be like for her as a teenager. Um, so I think that you know we talk about women, but I think that there's so you know there's so many biases um, that in every facet of our lives that we don't even think about until we're um, faced with it, um, similar to your comment earlier today, Sarah, about, you know, people who have been displaced. Um, and, I, and, you know, I kind of just, um, just to kind of allow that moment for it to seep into your mind and trying to think what that actually means is, um, is sometimes quite life-changing. So thank you so much for allowing me to speak today. Um, and, uh, you know, can't, uh, I've just already gotten so much out of the conversation from everyone here, and I look forward to hearing from the other speakers. Oh, Marianne, you have our, all of our hearts, I think. Um, thank you so much um, for sharing, you know, so, something so personal, for just talking about, you know, diverse thinkers, different thinking, getting out of our comfort zones, and really that learning and unlearning with your daughter. And I'm sure we've all got, you know, people that we love in our families and, and friendship groups that, you know, face diff different adversities. And it's really something that, you know, we can just take a step back and, and think about, well, what, what can we do to make it easier for them? So thank you so much. It was amazing. Lots of love on the chat. So it was amazing, Marianne. Um, next over to Renee Miller. So Chief Finance Officer at IE. Hi, Renee. Hello, and thank you. Thank you for having me. Gee, tough acts to follow here, um, but I'm going to try. 
So um, I can see on the call, I've got lots of my current team members and family and friends, um, and they're part of my journey. So it's great to see everyone. Um, so in introducing me, I thought I would provide a brief history of my life um, and some of the biases I've encountered. And when I thought about this, I'm like, when did they come in? So I grew up in an all-female household, went to an all-girls school for prep to year 12, and my mum worked hard, paid our school fees on her own. So I didn't have probably some of the influences that other people may have. Instead, I had a strong female representation. So I grew up thinking I could be whatever I wanted to be. And when I was eight, that plan was to be an actuary. Now, I'm not an actuary. <laughs> I admire them, but I'm not one of them. Um, but all I needed to do is work hard, make it happen. And if I failed, that was okay because I could try again. So failing for me, so probably a key point here is it's okay to fail. And as a female, it's okay. You just get up and you go again or you move on. Um, so I didn't grow up thinking, oh, I can't do that because I'm a female or I can't play that sport or I can't play that instrument because it just didn't even enter my head um, as I was younger. So then I thought, well, when did this bias actually come in for me? And if I think about it, it was probably outside school sport or um, casual employment that I had while I was at school or at uni. Um, and one of those opportunities that I had at uni, I can remember in the kitchen, there was a, a um, little banner stuck up and it had what females needed to wear. So within this organisation, there was a dress code for females and a uniform and nothing for men. And it went so far as to say, you know, you need to have your skirt a certain length. You can't have a certain pull on your, like the stretch on the skirt, how your makeup needed to be, the colour of your stockings, all those sorts of things. Um, even how you should speak and tuck in your shirt if you're a female um, and appear. And whilst it didn't hold me back, I really felt um, that inequity there. And I think I must have been around 20. And for me, I was like, wow, I can't believe that exists. So, and it, but it does. Um, moving on from that, I went into graduate roles. Um, how I got there, I guess after uni, I went into a grad position at ANZ Bank. Um, and my two best friends, who were both females, also got roles within the grad program. So I entered that with a Bachelor of Arts in Police Studies, Banking and Finance, and then went on and did a Master's of Accounting, Master's of Tax and Chartered Accounting. Um, so I think reflecting on that, I wasn't quite sure what I wanted to be, but I wanted to be the best at what that was. So um, after ANZ, I moved into professional services, technology, media, FMCG and utilities. And looking back, I think my, my goal was to always say yes to whatever that opportunity was or go and create the opportunity or look for that next gem. And I've had some brilliant managers along the way who have supported that. Um, but what I recognise there is um, there are great people within great organisations. There are also people who don't necessarily support um, that gender balance, but I have been fortunate. However, I would say sometimes it's not the great places you've worked, but what you've missed out on as well. So I can remember interviewing for a role. Um, I passed every prior interview and the last one was a meet and greet effectively. And I missed out on that because I wasn't blokey enough and I wasn't sure exactly what that meant, but apparently it was that I wasn't blokey enough. I think perhaps that was probably a good thing for me because it doesn't sound like an organisation I would have liked to be at. Um, another one that I mistakenly accepted an opportunity because based on appearances of being female, um, blonde, etc., it was that I could be a pushover. So um, for anyone who has worked with me or probably knows me, that's really not my bag. Um, I'm not a pushover. And um, 
you shouldn't judge on appearances. So that bias there um, was really frustrating to see. But thankfully, I have a supportive network where I could just walk out. So I was very fortunate in that situation. Um, but what that made me think about was all the biases in um, job advertisements and language and how we approach things. Um, and I'm sure there's a lot of people who would read a job ad, particularly in the female space, and say, well, I could do 90% of that role, but I'm not going to apply because I can't nail it. And the flip side is a male may say, I can do 60% of that role and I'm going to be brilliant. I don't care about the other 40%. So part of my, um, I guess, ethos and how I try and encourage, particularly females, is don't worry. You will get there and you can be great. But I think it's also being mindful as a manager and in recruiting that you need to support that. Um, how I was supported, I think back to being in London in the first six weeks, I interviewed with um, the Daily Mail. So Stephen Daintiff, he was Deputy CFO at the time. It was a part-time role in one particular accounting standard, not my remit, not my thing, but he said, Renee, I think there's a bunch of really educated, talented individuals staying at home because workplaces aren't flexible enough. And I was like, man, I want to work for you. You know, that is a brilliant way of approaching, um, you know, potential staff and saying, okay, you don't have to be full-time. You don't have to be something particular. You just need to be you and we'll be flexible. So the lessons I've learned from that, having someone who backs you, whether it's your partner, your mentor, past manager, best friend is invaluable. But having the confidence to back yourself, that's your superpower. So be your best friend, back yourself. You know, it's so important. Um, from a contribution point of view, I strongly believe it's my role to promote and ensure those great opportunities exist and that you really do make a genuine effort to break down that bias, whether it's at work, community events, sporting events, um, or within my own family. Um, you know, I look at my family again and really strong women. We're all MCC members because my mum thought about it. You know, it wasn't something for the boys. It was just something that you did. So, you know, that was fantastic. Very proud. I'm still MCC. Thanks to my mum. So then I look at what next. Um, again, I'm very thankful to be supported by IE in that I'm going to do the company director's course. I think it's, you know, really important to be that inspirational person because you can't be what you can't see. Um, and in looking at some stats that came out from the AICD, which is the Company Directors Institute, less than 20% of women are in those, I guess, profit and loss responsibility roles and senior roles. So it's really tricky. If they're not there, how can you encourage it? So um, I guess in closing, I'd say to break any bias, we need to acknowledge that it exists and then ensure we continue the conversation to raise awareness and create change so that it's not even an issue in our future. So thank you. Oh, thank you so much. Thank you so much, Renee. Again, more inspiration. It was a pleasure to have 100 people on, the, on a call together because this is clearly something that matters. So thank you. And here's to our daughters. Here's to our amazing daughters. Um, it's, yeah, let's just keep doing what we're doing for them.